Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome from the rather large apple, it's Emily Lind. Hi. How are you, Emily? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good. How was this week in the Alpha Quadrant for you? Uh, it was long and slow, but now it's the weekend, so that's good. How was your week? Pretty good, pretty good. Had the, the kids home for holidays, uh, which is fun, but towards the end of the week, I'm definitely ready for school to start again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this week we watched The Man Trap, which is the first official episode of the original series, Season 1. And uh, if you're watching on Netflix, it's actually Episode 2. Uh, because of the cage pilot that we watched last week. Uh, and I actually, I don't have the DVD box sets, but I did a bit of digging and on the, the Blu-ray at least, the, the cage appears, uh, I think with season three. So this will be your, the man trap will be the first episode, but for Netflix, it's number two. What did you think of the man trap? I think it's a pretty good episode. I'm, I'm a little surprised that this is the one they went with for the pilot. I mean, for the for the premiere, because it wasn't like it wasn't filmed as a pilot and it doesn't it doesn't do a lot of like the normal character introductions that you would get in a in a first episode. Yeah, that's right. And it sort of dives straight into it. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure we we open pretty much straight with um, Kirk and McCoy as the landing party on the planet. Uh, so we don't really get much of a taste of the bridge or the, the, the Enterprise to start off with. Yeah, you know, and if, if, I were, if I were watching this for the first time, like having never seen Star Trek before, I would think that McCoy was like your lead and not Kirk. Yeah, it's, it's very much a McCoy episode, this one. Not a whole lot of Spock either. And well, at least not until later on in the episode. Yeah, so we start like we start already like on this I I I wanna call it a way team, but it's landing party. Yeah, yep. So we've got uh Kirk and McCoy and a young crewman in a blue shirt called uh Crewman Darnell. And they're on planet M113, which is a pretty deserted desert planet. Uh, the buildings there are some ancient ruins. And they're uh, rocking up there. McCoy has to do a medical checkup on the professor and his wife that are living at this outpost. Apologies for the squeaky door. That's just my cat walking in. <laughs> Suss out the podcast on cue. By the way, this... This mission that they're on makes the Enterprise seem like real small time. That it's, yeah. that it's their job to go check up on this one guy and his wife. Yeah, that's right. So they do medical checkups and apparently they deliver supplies as well. So it's probably something that could be done by a, a, a freighter and not a massive starship. So McCoy is there to do um, a medical checkup on Professor Crater and his wife, Nancy. And it turns out Nancy is an old flame of McCoy's, uh, which Kirk seems to enjoy a lot and enjoys um, stirring McCoy about. 
Yeah, he's really giving him a lot of crap about it. It's funny. Pretty funny. Uh, so we get inside the, the ancient ruins and we meet Nancy Crater first. So we see, like, when Bones sees her, he's like, she's this beautiful, beautiful young woman. And then it switches to Kirk's point of view. And we see her as much older. Suddenly she's she's middle-aged. She's got a few gray hairs. And Bones keeps uh, describing her as being quite young and without a gray, single gray hair on her head. Yeah, not having been aged, not having aged a day. And then it gets even weirder because we see her from Darnell's perspective and she's this like sexy blonde woman who he says looks exactly like a woman he spent, you know, some time with on some planet somewhere. <laughs> he says, I swear that you remind me of a woman that I left behind on Wrigley's pleasure planet, <laughs> <laughs> which cannot be a compliment. I mean, any universe. I mean, it's not great. No. How can Wrigley's pleasure planet be anything other than a brothel? Yeah, definitely. McCoy doesn't like this at all and tells uh, tells the young crewman to watch his mouth and Kirk sort of intervenes and says, how about you step outside, crewman? And very ominous when you've got the random guy being sent out alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nancy um, heads outside, turns back into the blonde for the young crewman uh, and basically lures him away from the, the rest of the landing party and basically does a, a weird sort of sultry walk, the saxophone music. It's very cartoonish. It's almost like Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, and she, like, hands him, like, her, like, sweater or something that she was wearing. It's like, it's awfully hot out here, isn't it? So in the meantime, Professor Crater rocks up. He's very cantankerous. He immediately wants them to leave. Uh, McCoy's adamant that it's Starfleet regulation that he has to do is uh, has to give them a medical checkup. Um, and he runs over the, the professor with his um, tricorder or whatever the medical device he has that's, uh, in the original series. Uh, and I like the touch where even though he's got all this technology, he still wants to check the guy's tonsils. He's still a, an old school country doctor. Yeah. The professor's being adamant about trying to get them to leave. Um, he makes a point of saying we need salt. We do need supplies of salt. Um, but apart from that, we're fine. Please leave us alone. Then all of a sudden we hear Nancy scream from outside and uh, the conversation's interrupted and the landing party rush outside. And we find Darnell dead. Yeah, we get a, we get a, we, we get a dead Jim. Yeah, our first he's dead Jim for the for the podcast. Very exciting. And it's a blue shirt. So we go against the stereotype. The first guy to die is a man in a blue shirt. I shouldn't be so excited about death. Very morbid. So we find Nancy crying next to Darnell's body and uh, she's adamant that uh, he ate a poisonous plant called the Borgia plant. And Yeah, because he has part of the plant in his mouth and then he has these weird marks all over his face. Yeah, it's a strange sort of red rings on his face. Uh, so they interrogate Nancy. She says <laughs> he's a weird alibi about the crewman just picking up a random plant and putting it in his mouth and her trying to stop him and she's too late. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like pretty early on in your like starship like Federation training would be don't just pick up a random plant on some planet you've never been to before and stick it in your mouth. Yeah, yep. So it does seem automatically really suspicious. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of rule one oh one for strange planets, isn't it? The landing party beam up. Uh, with the crewman's dead body. And on the bridge, we find Uhura uh, flirting pretty hard with Spock. Yeah, wearing also wearing these bright green hoop earrings. Nice. Like, they're so 60s. I love them so much. But it did. Cool. I did go, those look a little out of place on a, on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's interesting sort of military dress code. Yeah, yeah, she's like she's super flirting with him. Like he he mentioned something about how there was some error on some report she did, like a mathematical error or something. And then there's yeah, she's just like super flirting, and he's being really Spock about it. Yeah, Spock cannot understand what why this illogical person is behaving so illogically around him. Uhura asked Spock to. Um, I guess basically to say something romantic to her, tell her how Vulcan looks on a lazy moonlit night. And Spock just replies immediately, Vulcan has no moon. <laughs> and he wants none of this. Yeah, so we're really establishing Spock's character right away. Yeah, I think that bit is all about Spock's character. Not Doesn't necessarily do much for her as character. I, it's not great for her. No. I mean... I I I really love her, so I'm 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 always happy to see her in an episode, even if it is just flirting with Spock. But I definitely do wish that she had something else to do. Uh, so we cut to the medical bay, and McCoy's examining the body. They've determined that uh, the crewman was not poisoned. Uh, he's got the red rings on his face, and then eventually uh, they figure out that he's. His body seems fine and perfectly well, apart from the fact there was a sudden and total loss of sodium chloride. And this is when Kirk remembers Crater and Nancy being fixated on salt while they're on the planet. Yeah, so we're dealing with a salt vampire, <laughs> which is, I mean, it's pretty great in terms of just like weird Star Trek stuff. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it makes sense on a desert planet. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. No, okay. Salt vampires never make sense. It, it makes perfect. It makes perfectly good Star Trek sense. Yeah. So the landing party return to the planet to question Professor Crater a little bit more. Kirk demands that the Craters come back to the Enterprise for safety because there's something bad on this planet that's killing people. And then uh, we hear a scream again, I think, and then we've got another two crewmen dead. Uh, Kirk and McCoy only find one body and um, Nancy, who we see hovering around uh, a dead crewman, suddenly morphs into him. And this is Crewman Green. Crewman Green wanders over to the landing party and um, I guess tries to blend in and ends up beaming back on board the ship with them. Now, right off, I mean, look, to both... Kirk and and everybody else like 
this dude is acting so weird, like right off the bat. And like, we'll see in the next scene, like it gets caught out like slightly, but Kirk just doesn't seem to notice anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's very odd. Um, does Green actually say anything there to the landing party? He says... Does he just rock up and stare at them? Well, you know, it's so funny because, you know, Kirk is yelling and yelling and yelling for him. And then he turns up, like, silently. And, and like, the only thing he says is that he, he found the other dead crewman and was circling around to see if he could find out what did it. I see. And then once they beam back aboard the ship, he just turns into basically a zombie that just stares at everything and wants salt. And I don't think he says a word after that. So they've been back aboard the ship. Green is wandering the hallways, goes, goes into a lift, sees uh, Yeoman Janice with a dinner tray and basically stares at the uh, the salt shaker and tries to tries to snatch it from her. Yeah, yeah. This is Yeoman Rand, Janice Rand, who we'll see pop up in some other episodes too. With an awesome beehive. Oh, it's so good. Probably the tallest beehive I've ever seen. It's really impressive. So Janice won't let him have the salt and glares at him, wonders what on earth's wrong with this weird crewman. And she wanders in to see Sulu, in, uh, who's in a room full of exotic plants. So, do you know, this, uh, this is our, I assume, our first introduction to Sulu. Maybe we saw him on the bridge before. Uh, yeah. So what's Sulu's role? He flies the ship, doesn't he? Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I guess he also, like, does he also do botany work? Apparently like, so. That seems like a weird combination. Yeah, maybe it's his hobby. Or just one of his extra duties on the ship. Okay. Wikipedia says it's one of his, it's listed as a hobby. Nice. Okay. But there is this one particular plant... That's like a little plant puppet <laughs> because, because Yeoman Rand starts like talking to it and it like responds to her. I love it. It's like a little so, shop of horrors plant. I was, yeah, I was just thinking that. Not, not a scary plant though, a pretty bright pink flower uh, and it makes sort of a, a high-pitched sort of squealing noise, I guess. I wish I could remember the name that she calls it. Um, let me see. So Janice calls it Beauregard. Beauregard, goes, that's right. goes over to pat the pet plant. And Sulu says, no, it's Gertrude. And, Beauregard uh, and Gertrude. Gertrude, I love it. <laughs> Have you ever named a plant? I mean, I name a lot of stuff I've never named a plant. No, I've never named a plant either. But then again, I've never had a cool... Um, animated plant like that uh yeah i guess if my plant was animate and could like react to people i'd probably give it a name yeah i mean it probably wouldn't be gertrude but <laughs> or beauregard, beauregard. <laughs> i like it so janice is adamant it's uh it's a male plant and then uh so janice is there to deliver sulu his dinner so Green walks in all of a sudden uh, and stares at everybody weirdly, doesn't say anything, and heads over and glares at uh, Sulu's salt shaker, desperate to get it. Uh, but then all of a sudden, 
Beauregard the plant. Are we going with Beauregard or Gertrude? Which which you reckon's better? I'm going with Beauregard. I'm going with Beauregard too. Uh, so Beauregard all of a sudden starts squealing or barking really loud and freaks right out. And then uh, Green basically turns around and runs out of the room. So Beauregard is uh, sensitive, has some sort of sense to tell there's something up with Green. Yeah. So Green starts wandering the halls again. And when he sees Ahura, he suddenly becomes uh, an old flame of Ahura's or somebody that Ahura's imagined. Yeah, it seems to just be like somebody she's like fantasized about. Yeah, that's it. She doesn't really seem to recognize him, uh, but they he starts speaking Swahili and then they have a, a conversation in Swahili and start, uh, I guess, kind of flirting. And then all of a sudden uh, the, what are we calling it now, the entity <laughs> raises his hands in a threatening sort of gesture trying to reach for Ahura's salt, I guess. Yeah, and it's kind <laughs> of like so they, can sort, they can sort of like, they can sort of like hypnotize people. Yeah, yeah. So now it's starting to make more sense. Ahura is basically frozen. Uh, and then suddenly uh, Ahura is hailed on the intercom and uh, that causes a distraction and she's able to get away. Do you know Ahura is from the United States of Africa? I didn't know that. According to, according to Wikipedia anyway, huh. which is where I get all my information. <laughs> so apparently, what are we, 23rd century? Yes. I think so. So anyway, by this time, apparently Africa's one united country, which is good. Very optimistic show. Yeah, I always like the, the little tidbits we learn about Earth. Yeah. Then our creature turns back into Nancy and heads for McCoy's quarters where we find out McCoy's had trouble sleeping and Kirk's encouraged him to take a sleeping pill. And Nancy suggests that's a good idea and tries to encourage McCoy to take the sleeping pill and sort of flirts pretty hard with him. And then all of a sudden we have another random crewman found dead out in the hallway by Sulu and Janice. Back in McCoy's quarters, McCoy drifts off to sleep and Nancy takes on McCoy's form now and heads for the bridge. So Kirk and Spock beam back down for more answers and while they're looking around, they find Green's body now. So they realise they have an intruder on board and they find Professor Carter outside who's now armed with a phaser and they end up in a firefight with him. Yeah, so he's like gone like fully aggressive crazy yeah yep he's gone nuts so i think it's kirk ends up shooting the professor and stuns him and this is where we see probably the dodgiest <laughs> all of a sudden the footage speeds up when he falls so <laughs> the the actor must actor must have taken way too long to fall <laughs> done a dramatic shakespearean death or something and they ask where's your wife professor and then he goes on a speech about how she was the last of her kind and so it reveals that it was actually a, a creature on the planet. It was a bit like the – he compares it to the extinction of the bison in America. Yeah, it's it's so funny when when they do this on Star Trek, which is these these references to – to things that 
to humans in the future would be such ancient history. Yeah, yep. That you just go, that's that's not that's not a metaphor they would use. So yeah, there's a lot of injected metaphors for 1960s television television audiences. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye out for those. We'll have to keep have to keep a tally of 20th century metaphors. In like in one of the like in one of the next generation movies, we get them like singing Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> There's a lot of naval stuff in this. It really is. Yeah, and and particularly with um, the next generation, you see that you get the crew on the holodeck and they're on. You know, a ship like Captain yeah, it's Cook's Sherlock Endeavor. Holmes, and it's and it's it's like the film noir, and it's all this. It's fascinating. So Kirk calls the Enterprise and lets them know that they have an intruder on board, and the intruder can take on any form. Kirk gives Professor Crater a lecture about um, basically the professor's been saying that uh, he's been trying to protect this endangered species and wanting to save it. Um, but basically Kirk says, is it, you know, are you trying to protect this um, species that's the last of its kind or is this just your personal heaven where you've got uh, the perfect wife where you win every argument and and uh, you're in a perfect world basically. So I guess similar to maybe the scenario that Captain Pike was in in the pilot where uh, he's basically offered this you know, this virtual world that's not real, uh, a fantasy world, and uh, Pike chooses to reject it. Uh, in this case, uh, the professor can't let go, and uh, it's happened at the expense of uh, several of the Enterprise crewmen. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, I mean, I mean, part is that we just watched The Cage, and obviously, like other like viewers of the show wouldn't have done it at the time, but it is interesting that that comes up again already. Yeah. So and yeah, it seems to be a you know pretty regular theme in Star Trek. So they beam up uh, to a boardroom scenario. Is it the captain's ready room or is it the boardroom or the the situation room? Something like that. A room with a table, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, so Spock, Kirk, and Fake McCoy are interrogating uh, Professor Crater to see what else they can find out. And um, Crater, Crater reveals that he won't help them track down the creature. He can't um, can't turn on his wife or what's left of his wife. So he basically reveals that um, Nancy died. The real Nancy actually died one or two years ago and she's buried on a hill on the planet. So Crater won't help them. After everybody's leaving the room, um, Spock is attacked in the hallway. We find out Spock has some sort of immunity or didn't have what the creature wanted, so Spock survived the attack. But Professor Crater's actually dead, and he has the red rings on his face. Now, here's one thing I wondered, which is, when, do you know at, at what point we learn that Spock is only half Falcon? Yeah, that's a good point. De not in this episode. Because I wonder, I wonder, because I don't, I don't know how late that was added in. Yeah, good point. 
I mean, you could definitely still have, like, as a half human, you could definitely still have that his, you know, his cell structure or whatever doesn't work in the same way. Like, it's just different enough that the creature can't get him the same way. But I was wondering that. Maybe the maybe the Vulcan DNA is too powerful. It get, gets rid of the illogical human cells. <laughs> He's got green blood. We know that. That's true. And he's so I guess he's he has that sort of slightly green complexion. So Kirk heads straight to McCoy's quarters to challenge Fake McCoy, and we see that Fake McCoy has turned back into Nancy, and real McCoy can't understand what's going on. Still believes it's Nancy, uh, and the creature, the Nancy creature, attacks Kirk and hypnotizes him, and McCoy basically stands there powerless. Yeah, he's just, like, watching this go down until Spock bursts in. And Spock says, quick, shoot, man, shoot, it's not Nancy. And he demonstrates that it's not Nancy by fighting the creature. And this is where we get the first ever classic double punch, which I assume is some weird high school wrestling move or something. (laughs) Yeah, the hand clasp. It seems like you couldn't get nearly as much strength that way. No way. Yeah, so you clasp your hands together and slam them in to the beast, into your enemy, into the beast. Yeah, how is that better than like just you, punching somebody? It's not, but somehow <laughs> somehow it seems to have a bigger effect. If it was Nancy, how could she possibly take this weird thing that I'm doing with my clasped hands? Yeah, so basically... We're just watching Spock hit a woman for a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if we really know this yet, but Spock is incredibly strong, way stronger than a human. And, you know, yeah, Spock's demonstrating to McCoy that apparently a woman could not take such a beating. And then the creature just, the Nancy creature just backhands Spock and sends him flying across the room. And McCoy's sort of starting to realize what's happening, but he's still sort of paralyzed. And the creature, Nancy creature, heads back to Kirk and assumes the the salt extraction phase, I guess, puts her hands up near Kirk's face. And then we finally see the creature's true form. I guess it must have to uh, turn back into its true form to feed or something like that. And we see it's this horrifying hairy beast with suction cups all over its hands that perfectly match the um the red rings on the bodies and uh, a weird sort of almost suction cuppy mouth and and even then it still takes a little bit of time for mccoy to fire on this thing it's very confronting i suppose especially at mccoy's old girlfriend that he, he definitely seems to still have affection for True, but if I were if I were if I were Kirk, I'd be a little bit annoyed at who is supposedly like my really good friend. Yeah, he's supposed to be really well trained. Oh, I guess he has he has just had a sleeping pill though, we've got to remember that. He's just oh, that's right. That. So I'll give him that. Okay. What do you think of the beast's outfit? Seems to be wearing some weird net thing. Yeah, I was wondering like what the purpose of that was, because it's a big hairy beast. So why is it? Why does it have this on it? Yeah, so it's sort of like a a, a one piece net thing. It'll probably be in fashion next year. <laughs> <laughs> so McCoy shoots the beast, and the beast drops to the floor and turns back into Nancy, 
um, says something to McCoy and then finally dies and turns back into the beast with its cool net outfit. Uh, and that is the end of the episode. Everybody goes back to normal and they floor it out of there at warp speed. Yeah, so that they can go deliver that guy's chili peppers or whatever that is mentioned earlier in the episode. <laughs> so how do you how do you feel about this episode as like the first episode of Star Trek? I thought it was interesting. We we learnt last week that allegedly the NBC executives rejected the first pilot because there wasn't enough action, but we didn't really get a whole lot of action in this first episode. We got a lot of death, so I suppose that counts for something. We only really got that sort of fight at the um, at the end with the when Nancy becomes the beast. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting episode. Yeah, I think when we get to, I think it's the episode after next, we'll get to where No Man Has Gone Before, which was filmed as the second pilot. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to sort of compare those and see, like, maybe maybe it'll be obvious, like, or at least more, like, explainable as why this was decided on as the first episode to air. Yeah, yep. But we are just kind of thrown in there. Yeah, that's right. Which is maybe the way to do it. Maybe it is. And one other thing I think this episode does really well is right away we get the Kirk-McCoy friendship. Absolutely. We don't get a whole lot of banter between McCoy and Spock in this one. They haven't set up the the, the kind of rivalry between Bones and Spock. But, uh, yeah, straight away you get, you know, Kirk and uh, McCoy are old friends and uh, Kirk likes making fun of McCoy. Yeah, you know, I I was talking um, last episode about how I'd, how I'd never particularly liked Kirk, but actually I, I quite like him in this episode. Yeah. Maybe because he's not a huge focus on him and it's not just him hitting on alien women. <laughs> That's it. It's all about McCoy and his old flame. I do quite like Kirk. I think I like how I like how he's always unflappable. Like he's always calm, he's always level-headed. He's dependable. Yeah. I probably pre- prefer um Picard as my captain. I think my favorite oh, would. Like for sure. But uh it's it'd be second best. I'll be happy to serve under Kirk. Oh, I would go. I would go. Actually, I think Cisco would be my first choice. Or maybe that's just because I'd much prefer to live on Deep Space Nine. I'm gonna Deep Space Nine is my least favorite, but I haven't seen much of it, so I'm gonna have to go. Have to go in. For me, it seemed it was like this lower budget, um, almost yeah, like coming out of. Um, you know, the, the highest point of next generation. Um, it, it just seemed a lot quieter and a lot, it seemed dull to me. I would say like the first, maybe like season and a half of deep space nine is pretty weak. Like at the level, actually, I think the first season of next generation is, is pretty much the same in that way. But what deep space nine does is, I think it's like mid season two, or maybe it's the start of season three. Is they they get into this 
war storyline that ends up lasting for pretty much the rest of the season, the series. And Not it becomes so. it becomes the darkest of the Star Trek shows. Oh, and wow. also like one of the only Star Trek shows that you actually get character development <laughs> like that wow. continues consistently like on from episode to episode. There's still there's still standalone episodes, but a lot of it is like things happen and it matters, which we don't get a lot of in Star Trek and others and the other series. Yeah, you you get you'll get a bit of that in Discovery. When you get to um, Discovery, it's not just sort of standalone episodes. Yeah, and I think there's some of that in Enterprise. I never watched Enterprise beyond like the first couple of episodes. Uh, kind of a similar arc in Enterprise, I think, by the third season. I think it's the third season, then suddenly they're involved in a, in a war or they have to go into a particularly dangerous area of the galaxy to try and prevent a war, and it gets a lot darker. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, from, from, and I must admit, yeah, the, the tiny bit I'd seen of Deep Space Nine, it really needed something like that. It needed, needed something to shake things up a bit from what I saw. Does, so you talked about character development. Does Cisco's character change a lot? Man, Cisco, because Cisco, and this, this, they start in the Deep Space Nine pilot, but there's this whole religious thing with him where he's this, like, sort of a, the emissary, which is like this promised figure in the Bajoran religion. And that starts oh, wow. to, that starts to play in more and more throughout the series. And then because there's this war that happens with um, these aliens from the other side of the wormhole, basically you see like, because of where deep space nine is like right there, they're in the middle of it. So you see Cisco, as sort of this like worn down wartime captain, really. Well, he's already he's very broken, obviously at the start because he's. I think we see in the first episode his wife is killed uh, when Picard was taken over by the Borg and and uh, Picard led the the Borg attack. Yeah. But I mean, like we see that, but then, you know, it turns into like he, in the first season or so, you know, he's fairly like typical, like Starfleet officer that we see in any of them, but he's got to deal with a lot more depressing shit than, than Kirk and Picard did. Okay. I'll have to watch it. So I have to watch more. And I just, yeah. And in, in fact, I like, one of the things I like about D Space Nine is... It was it was interesting to see a show that was set on what is not technically a Federation station. It's like the Federation the Federation has a presence there, but you know it's they they're there with the Bajoran um, command and with all these just these aliens who happen to live there, and you get lots of Cardassians and the Cardassians are probably my favorite of the star trek bad guys and lots of ferengi as well yes the ferengi and you get like odo and that's an interesting like new alien yeah that's right and we yeah there's there's a lot of uh, deep phase nine it's it's so funny i know like it's so many people who who think it's like 
their least favorite Star Trek, but it's been it's been my favorite basically since it was on. There you go. There you go. Well, I've, uh, you've got me intrigued now. I'm going to watch more. Who's your favorite Cardassian? Oh, Galdicott. He is the best bad guy ever. He's so evil. Because he was like he was the commander of the station back when the Cardassians had subjugated Bajor. Ah, oh, that's right. So is he in? Uh, uh, is he in Next Generation? No, because we don't like we don't see that. So they're like I think it's maybe like mentioned because we see it. Um, oh yeah, we see it in Next Generation when um, when Ensign Rowe comes on. That we see that that there's this you know that Cardassia has has taken over Bajor, and has them all in like labor camps and stuff. Yikes! They're big on torture too, aren't they? Yeah, they're not they're not pleasant, and they're very militaristic and scary. But so where does Kim Cardassian fit in? <laughs> yeah, she's there a lot, you know, just hanging out, hanging out with Kanye, yep. torturing people. Have you watched much Voyager? I watched... I mean, how long was Voyager on? Because I watched the first, like, few seasons, and then I think I came back for, like, the last couple of episodes just to see how it ended. I'm going to say about four or five seasons, I think. I think I okay. think it might have been made for a, a different cable network or something, so it was there was probably some overlap between it and Deep Space Nine when it first aired. Yeah, it was... I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get into any of the characters particularly, which makes it hard. And Voyager, I liked the the original premise was so cool, which is this. I mean, first of all, they get tossed on the other side of the galaxy. But what I really liked is you had this Federation crew and this Maquis crew, and they had to work together. And then that lasts for about three episodes, and then it's basically like any Federation ship. And that just seemed so wasted to me. It's I, I like we get some interesting, like totally new species of aliens. I guess that's the the beauty of being, you know, chucked into the the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, Delta Quadrant. At, yeah, but then we, yeah, and then we get the Borg a lot, like too much Borg. Yeah, I'm gonna say a lot of the Borg episodes probably my least favorite episodes. I think they're a great. It's very bleak, isn't it? Very, very hard to fight an enemy like that. Yeah, like I just want to, like I want to, like I think the next generation did the Borg pretty well, which is they're this terrifying, super powerful species who we only see like every couple of seasons. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think that's about right. How do you rate Janeway as a captain? Eh. You know, I don't, I don't dislike her. Um, so I might put her, well, with the amount of the original series that I've seen, I would, I, I would put her above Kirk. Oh, wow. Yeah. I definitely, I don't, I don't love her, but I mean, she's not Picard or Cisco level. I go back and forth on whether Picard or Cisco is my favorite. I mean, it's hard not to choose Picard just because Picard is Patrick Stewart. Definitely. I, I so I'll have to see a bit more of Cisco. I would probably trust Cisco as a captain to serve under him. I probably, based on the little bit of the first season of Deep Space Nine that I've seen, I'd probably find him a bit too boring to hang out with. Uh, but I'll have to see how that character develops. 
He cooks really good food, and he likes baseball. That's pretty cool. Those are the main things that... (laughs) I always thought I could get into baseball. I... I can go to a baseball game. And it's fun. And I'll eat food. Because baseball is the sort of game you don't have to watch every second. But I can't watch it on TV. It bores me to tears. Yeah. I'll have to go to a Yankees game one day. Who's your team? Do you have a team? I mean, I sort of have just, like, genetically, um, I, the Chicago Cubs, because that's, that's my parents' team, and that's, like, who my brother is obsessed with. Nice. Because Indi- like, I grew up in Indiana, and they don't have a baseball team, and Chicago's only a couple hours away, so it was always Chicago. So is that is that the default team for most people around, most people you grew up with? I mean, people just sort of, like, tend to go with, you know, whatever team in baseball that I think that, but there's, there's probably a higher number of, of either Chicago Cubs or Chicago White Sox fans. So baseball just goes for one day, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's not cricket. Lame. <laughs> so that's the man trap. Join us next week for Charlie X, which oh boy, where we deal with a uh, terrifying teen brat with godlike powers. Very exciting. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at he's dead Jim pod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We're at he's dead Jim pod. And uh, there's links in the show notes uh, on this episode. I think that's it for this week. Um, did we agree on a sign-off? <laughs> no. I think, I think do we have a sign-off is now our sign-off. Yeah. Do we have a sign-off? No. Bye. Bye.